0: 7654321. <laughs> oh, this new crazy mother.
1: Welcome friends to episode 176 of Color Magic and Magic Gaming Podcast, where we talk about all types of things that affect gamers at and away from their gaming tables and computers. I am your host, Taquan Watson, and for 176 episodes. Got my main man, hopefully still living good down in Texas, <laughs> Brian Allen. How's it going, dude? I live. For all, <laughs>
0: all three people that remember Sinistar.
1: That is true. Man, I'm just glad y'all are all doing okay. I've been seeing on your your family
0: channel, y'all have had all kinds of things, people going in and out of the hospital. Yeah. Uh, I, again, please don't. It would, take every effort you can make to not get the COVID. I swear. Dude, speaking of which.
1: I'm going to, I'm going to start this show out with a a side story here. Okay. But one, I, we're pretty much to the point that, you know, maybe about 10, 15% of the people are masking coming out of our area on planes. I'm not that concerned about it in some open spaces, but on the plane, I was definitely wearing it, whatever. But on the way back, (laughs) I see this dude, like, he's already seated. I'm, but I have like a window seat, right? So I'm like, Hey, I'm in whatever it was like 24 a or whatever. And he looks bothered that he has to get up, right? And I'm like, I don't know what we do, dude. I got you know, like I kind of just like shrug because I'm like, I, I mean, I got to get to my seat, right? And at first, I don't really get it, but then I sit down. the The flight gets started. The dude, and the only way I could, and I talked about if you followed me on Twitter, I talked about this, but like the only way I could describe the dude is he put on Fox News on the little you know, in-flight thing. And dude, he basically, he put it on and then he went like, like when you see in the movies where they're programming like super soldiers or whatever and the people sit like, they get all shoulders back, perfect posture, (laughs) whatever, like the dude flips down the tray table and he just has his hand, like his fingers crossed, like hard cross, like prayer style and just sits, like, perfect. 17, logging, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was. I'm not even joking. So I'm kind of looking at this dude, like, what's up with this guy, you know? So now, that being said, like, he was already kind of being a jerk toward me, and then I saw, like, the, the whole, like, his interaction with Fox News, which was weird. So I decided to be a little bit of a jerk. I'm, I'm going to admit, I was being a little petty. So I set my phone to full brightness, because it was an evening flight, and, like, it was a little bit dark in the plane. And I decided to just go through my my socials and my timelines of everybody I know that had LGBT stuff posted on their feeds. <laughs> and the dude kind of looked over a couple of times and like grumbled something under his voice. And I just gave him like the light side eye with the eyebrow, you know, like, and then he would go back to just stiff super soldier or whatever. like <laughs> what kind of thing. Which was like <laughs> so weird, man. It was so weird. I don't even know what to do with that. Like, But what's even funnier is at one point, the lady came through, the, one of the stewardesses, and or flight attendants, I think is more proper term now. And she told, you know, you got to put your seat up, put your tray tables up, whatever. And the dude looked like he was about to go off on her. And I think he had that moment of he realized he was still on a plane and what that could do if you tried to go off on somebody. <laughs> so he backed down and he just like slammed it shut and put his seat on it. But then I was thinking about it later. I thought, after I saw the Fox News thing or whatever, I thought, man. He might have just been a jerk because he was a little bit racist. But then I realized "Mm, he might have been more upset because he saw somebody with a mask sitting next to him. Yeah. All of those things. All of those things. That probably bothered him more. And I was like, yeah. So that was my adventure on the way home on the plane. Fortunately, no fights. Nothing stupid happened. I just apparently sat through a, I don't even know what you call it, a Fox News zombie super soldier. Like, I don't know. It was weird. (laughs) I, but I tell you, man, I, I'm glad I travel usually with other people because I feel like I always have something weird or a story that comes up that, like, I'm one of those people that those things follow me. And I'm glad there's witnesses to the things that happen a lot of the time. But before we get into the meat of the show, because, man, we have a lot to cover on this one. I got to tell you about our show sponsor, Cardsphere. Go check them out. They're actually really good people. I I've Matter of fact, I sent a bunch of cards out to them, through them. Last week, before I took off to go to Philly. So I'm definitely a supporter of the site. Big fans of theirs. And they're actually really responsive. As a matter of fact, I had some cards that one was had a couple more scratches than we saw that went out. And they needed to make an adjustment. They sent a message to the system. I responded. Boom. It was done with. Right? Really nice. Even with just being a small group of people helping run it. Minimal issues. Which is really surprising. But you should check them out over at Cardsphere.com. And then I want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon member, Michael Blanchfield. Thank you for coming on board. Much appreciated. And if you want to get a shout out on here, you can go to patreon.com slash color of magic. You can also go to color of slash shop and get some tokens and playmats with our likenesses on them, or even just rep the show, which is cool because I saw one of them out in the wild. So that was kind of neat. And people really loved our tokens. So yeah, check those out. We'd love you. It helps support us. And we always appreciate it. But now let's get into some stuff in our soapbox. <laughs> Boy, you know what? I'm gonna bring this back around to the, like the travel etiquette as a whole for people. Because a- another thing that happened to me was at the airport, and. I had a, a later flight, not a later flight, but it was later in the day. It was a five o'clock flight, but my checkout was at 12 at my Airbnb. So I decided I'm gonna go to the airport early. Right. And there's nobody there. And, I, and by nobody, I mean, you know, 15 or 20 people in the whole like D terminal that I'm in. And this is at the Philly airport. But I grab a meal because, you know, it's lunchtime or whatever. And I have my laptop and I'm like, you know what, I can get some work done. I can respond to some emails, do some things I need to do. So I decide I'm going to go to one of the further parts of the area. And there's 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 an area for people to eat at, right? A bunch of tables and chairs. So I decide I'm gonna pick the one that's kind of furthest away. So I'm not disturbing anybody with anything on my laptop. I don't have to worry about anything private being seen by anyone or whatever. Not even 10 minutes later, this lady comes around. And she she walks the area real quick, trying to look for a place to sit. She comes over to all the tables and everything. And mind you, literally the whole term, all the blue seats that are always set up where people are waiting on flights, like there's almost nobody in those, right? She could have set at any one of them. But I was like, okay, maybe she's looking for a place to eat or whatever. I looked up and counted. There were 13 empty tables that each one could have set three, four people. She comes all the way by, like sits right behind me. Like pulls up a chair table right behind where I'm sitting and then proceeds to be the rudest noise goblin possible. And I mean, like, dude, like noisy rappers, like chomping on the food, turning the volume up on what she's watching. And I'm just like, lady, really? Like you had this whole space. Like not only that, she she surveyed the area. And then chose that one particularly. Not like she was just on her phone talking, just sat down in a chair or whatever. Because, like, I've done that before. And then you realize, like, ah, this probably wasn't the best place for me to sit. Right? She literally scopes the area and then decided that was the best chair to sit in. And I'm like, why? Why why are you right behind me? Right? So, <sighs> so I decide to get up. I'm just like, you know what? I'll be the bigger person. I'll just move. It's not a big deal. And then she's like, mean mugging me while I'm moving. <laughs> And I look over at her and I just shrug because I'm like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> like, you're like I'm trying to work. <laughs> and you're right here making all this noise. Like, like why are you looking at me all mad? Right? Like, I don't know. She was using me for cover or something. Like, I don't know. And now I'm moving and she feels inconvenience. Like, it was the weirdest thing, man. Like, But then I talked about it to some other folks. And apparently, this is a thing that just happens. Like, a couple of people mentioned them being seated or them and, like, their kid or whatever. And then somebody would come and just sit a, in the table across from them and just stare at them while they ate. And I'm like, what kind of weirdos are you people? Like, who does that? Like, I couldn't imagine setting up across from somebody and then just staring at them while I like eat my sandwich or whatever. That's like serial killer level stuff, man. Like, what's wrong with people? So yeah, that's that's my gripe. Like, people got to get their stuff together. Like, and I get it. Don't be wrong. When there's a lot of times. Terminals really are busy. You're on a super booked flight. Like, there's just not going to be a lot of spot, spots, right? You just got to sit where you can sit, make room. That I don't have a problem with. But when there's literally the whole space, and then you're going to sit right behind me, I'm like, why? Like, that, that's just unnecessary. Even creepier if you're one of those people that sits down and stares at people. Like, you got problems. You need to go, like, not even joking. You got to go to therapy for real. You got some stuff you got to work out. Cause there is that's completely uncalled for. That's just weird. But anyway, that's it. That's my gripe. I'm gonna I'm gonna get off it.
0: <laughs> what do you got, Brian? Awesome, shameless self promotion. Uh, after uh, a season of, of of grinding and stretching and struggling, I have achieved 11, legend rank on Madden Ultimate Team, which, according to their numbers, puts me in I guess the top one percent of people playing that mode so they're still uh, they're, and by the way i still run into people even among the top one were like okay there's still a gap between me and say this person but still <laughs> feels good to be able to say you're in the top one percent of anything dude i feel you like i don't think people understand i think i talked
1: about it before the first time i broke the top 100 back when they had like numbered rankings and stuff i was like giddy and i think they still do for like uh the lead the uh the, the regular leaderboard Yeah. And then, I, and then I played a dude who was, like, 30th or something,
0: and I just got boat raced. Yeah, you wouldn't think the gap between 30 and 100 would be that huge, right? But Oh, no. yeah, I just, I just basically got run out the building. I'm just like, damn,
1: okay, then. I, I still ain't nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, dude, one, 1%, though, that's cool. Because I would have thought Legend might have been, like, the top 5%,
0: so, like, 1%, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm. I am pretty pumped putting out all sorts of videos. If you want to see, uh, kind of, I guess just what kind of, uh well, what what kind of trickery that entails, <laughs> because some of it is just like, okay, here's something completely random that they may not be ready for, and sometimes how, it works. How many
1: games does it take to get to that level?
0: Oh my god, I don't even want to. Because I'm I assuming know. it's a few hundred. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think each season is about seven games long, and you have to win. I want to say, I think you have to win seven to get to the playoffs. Then they'll bump you up to the next rank. So technically, I mean, if you, for example, if you didn't lose, I guess you could probably do it and do it in uh, forty games. I obviously occasionally lose, so it took a little bit longer. Plus, this is the Ultimate Team where you start, where you don't start with Tony Romo, you start with. Tony Romo's cousin who didn't go to all his years of college. You can't read the playbooks where you got to build your team up to where you can even beat random person you'll encounter.
1: You you get the dude who came from like a division two school. That was a backup QB in the NFL for a minute. right?
0: (laughs) Got that dude. That would have been a four year starter if the coach's son wasn't the quarterback. Yeah, exactly. So first you got to give you a team that's worth something. And I, I didn't, other than I bought the collector's edition. So that's a hundred dollars. That gives you extra players, but. Other than buying the collectors edition, I haven't spent any money on this. I so just first you gotta grind to where your team can even stay out. Cause I mean, especially among, you know, content creators, there's people who do that video first week. I spent a thousand on Madden Ultimate team. Here's what I got. So yeah. Uh if I run into that person first week, yes, you get destroyed. Cause all their people are at that point, I guess 85, 86 overall, then it goes all the way up eventually to 99.
1: Yeah, that's always tough too, right? Because we talk about that sometimes. Of you're going to spend money, or you're going to give them
0: time. Yeah, and right? I gave them a little bit of money at the beginning of the season, and then from there, it was just time. Yeah, and then you know, just learning what plays worked, what plays didn't work. What also I kept trying to figure out what kind of offense you want to run. obviously, everybody doesn't play football the same way. That's a good point. You have to figure out also what works with the the player cards you got too. Yep. Like, if you don't have a good quarterback, okay, you probably don't want to use Tampa Bay's playbook. It's full of a bunch of passing plays designed for Tom Brady, who, in theory, never misses or doesn't miss throws often.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. But it's true to hear that, like, you kind of use the same thing I do with a lot of games. of just, like, I'll give them some amount of money up front just because, like, I'm going to be playing the game for a while. Like, let me put something into the pile to support you, and then let me just grind out the rest of the time, yeah. you know? That's cool, though, dude. Congrats. That That is Thank still a, a bit of work for sure. Right. Like I said, I I used to play Madden heavily back in the day and I know how much it was just to grind regular to get to the top ranks. And
0: the one time I did it, that's almost all I did in the evenings Just play Madden. Yeah, you, you almost have to. It, it's I feel the same about Madden and Call of Duty, where if I don't play for a couple of days and just my skills deteriorate rapidly, then all of a sudden. Even running the same plays, like all of a sudden I don't feel like I'm reading defenses quickly or throwing the ball as quickly as I need to, and just all kinds of things.
1: Yeah, I don't think people understand. Like when you are at the top level of a lot of these games, like you're playing with other people that that's all they do. They don't have other hobbies, they don't play other games. <laughs> like
0: no. they,
1: there's a reason they are at the tip top of those. So like it's it's definitely an achievement for sure. But Let's talk about what we learned this week because I think we both have some kind of interesting things to share with people that they're actually going to be surprised by this week.
0: Okay, I have been hearing, well, I first heard a rumor, I saw it on somebody's site, and I'm like, okay, that's, that's crazy. I never heard that before. And I start doing some research, and apparently there's at least a, a handful of people trying to figure out whether Babe Ruth was actually black. Which I had never heard anything like that before. Then, of course, you would start going down any kind of you know historical rabbit hole. people, of course, looking at his facial features. Suppose there are stories where there's one story. Supposedly, where Ty Cobb, who was a pretty notorious racist, terrible person, was asked to go on a some kind of I guess, camping trip with Babe Ruth and said flat out, "No, I ain't gonna do it. I never bedded down with the well, you know, N word." And I am about to start now. People are like, "What are you talking about?" It's Babe Ruth. He's white. I guess he didn't elaborate because you know. For me, I guess it, there was a, apparently a handful of people that either knew or felt like they knew. So while he was playing and breaking records, there were some people calling, you know, throwing racial slurs at him, and half the crowd looking like, "What in the world are you talking about?"
1: Yeah, I remember. I feel like early on when I was collecting sports cards that that came up at one of the local shops that somebody had mentioned that and I remember even back then thinking it was kind of weird but obviously it didn't have the resources of, of Google and the internet whatever like we have now to just research things so I never really followed up and it didn't become anything but it was definitely a conversation that floated for a few years it's kind of
0: interesting to hear that that's kind of back in circulation. Supposedly one of the reasons, because obviously it's Babe Ruth, you would have figured he would have been a manager or coach on somebody's team. And supposedly one of the reasons that didn't happen is that the uh, the commissioner at the time, Kennesaw Mountain Melandis, was as, uh, I guess, uh, racist as his name sounds like he was. Yeah. And uh, basically knew that if Babe Ruth became a manager, <laughs> that would open the floodgates because Ruth had already said he had no problem with black people playing, which... That also kind of puts that in a different context, if if all that is true. Hmm. Yeah, that's... Some of the confirmations, like, well, why... What evidence do you have? Well, he wasn't racist! You know, it's almost like, oh, if you were a white guy in the 1900s (laughs) and not racist, what's wrong with you? (laughs) I mean,
1: that was real, though. Yeah. Like, I've seen many people talk about and share stories and even read stuff where that came up, that if somebody... I guess, showed empathy, you know, it was like, okay, well, why are you like this? You know, as opposed to, okay, well, that seems like normal to care about another human, you know, right? So wouldn't surprise me, man. I mean, by the way, if people don't know there if you haven't heard it, there's a podcast. I believe it's called Black Diamonds. And it's hosted by the guy that I think he's the chairman of the Negro League Hall of Fame or something, the Negro League Museum. And there's some really cool stories. Now, I don't know if they've covered the Babe Ruth thing, but they talk about like how different teams came about or how the people had to travel or how they could or couldn't schedule games and where they could get talent. Like Just so much stuff that people don't even know about or haven't even considered. And it puts in perspective of just, like, how bad things were and how racist a lot of those times were. Because, you know, you talk about, oh, well, they had the Negro Leagues of Baseball whatever. And, like, how crazy the stats were on some of those athletes that they would, like, the record books would look totally different if the leagues were integrated during that whole time. Like, it's it's crazy. But, yeah, it's a cool podcast called uh, Black Diamonds if you ever want to check it out. But yeah, that's a cool thing, dude. I think now, now I got to go back into that rabbit hole. Now, now you brought right. it back up again.
0: <laughs> yeah, I somehow had never, and I love baseball, love you know anything, just even you know, all the crazy debates about who was the greatest or obviously anything Negro League related. I had somehow never heard about this before now. And, and just went oh, down a hole.
1: <laughs> I'm surprised you hadn't done some videos about the new like pizza box size plates they're going to be using and and – Or bases and everything else that's changing for this coming season. I don't know
0: if they've put them in MLB The Show or not. I need to check.
1: (laughs) But yeah, uh, so what I want to talk about is uh, following up from my Philly trip, one of the things I remembered from being down there, because I went several years ago for another event, and I remembered there being some places to stay nearby. So I was like, okay, cool. I'm be going back and forth to convention center. My first thought is, because, you know, when I booked, I'm like, ah, it might be snowing or something. I want to be as close to the convention center as I can be, so I ain't got to walk through a bunch of crap. And it turns out I was able to get about a half block away, which was awesome. Literally from, like, I came out of the building I was in to the door that led to the magic event it took me maybe two minutes, tops. Like, it was great. So... That led me, though, to reminding people or telling people about if you get to go to Philly and you're going to be downtown doing something at the convention center, consider staying in Chinatown. Like, there's a bunch of places there that are just renting their Airbnbs and everything else. And it is super convenient. Like, you've got Reading Market, which, by the way, if you don't know what Reading Market is, or Reading Terminal Market, I believe is the full name for it, it is basically a big building that has i don't even know what the number is it's got to be like 50 vendors in there and they make all types of food different wares desserts you can just go walk through you literally each time i walk through there to eat i stroll through and i pick like a main course from this place i get a dessert from that place i get a drink from this place right and i'm just like making my perfect meal when i walk through like it's awesome But, like, that place is nearby. But more importantly, what happens, and you know this, Brian, from going to a ton of conventions and shows or whatever, is, like, the show floor closes at either 6 or 8 o'clock, and then there's other places around you already closing up. Right? As an example, as big as the the Reading Market is, it closes at 6. So if you stayed at the main show and got done at 7 or 8 o'clock, you couldn't even go eat over there, right? So you have to end up going to some other restaurant or make reservations or whatever. The cool part about it, Is for whatever reason the Asian businesses stay open later. I was able to get food every every night, literally within walking distance, across the street, next door, whatever of where I was staying. And dude, I had like high end tea and boba and ramen and seafood and whatever. Like it was great. I got I never had to go more than like a block late at night to go get food, and some of them were open until two three in the morning. It was great. So I am just here to tell you, like, if you are gonna. Stay downtown in Philly, book somewhere in the Chinatown area. Hell, even when I needed other stuff, there was two different 7 that were one was in like a three-minute walk, the other was like a five-minute walk. So even if I needed small stuff, I'm like, cool, I'll just hit up 7-Eleven, grab me a couple things, stock up, and I'm good. So yeah, it, it was great. Like I, I best situation I had. And booking the Airbnbs was cheaper than renting from renting from the hotels. So yeah, like, and uh, when yeah. we
0: went to uh when I went to E3 a couple of times, I know we stayed at uh a uh, Japanese hotel, and I don't I don't know exactly what they ended up paying, but I'm assuming it's kind of the same thing where they got probably pretty pretty good deal, reasonably close to the uh convention center.
1: And and I say this because I I, I think there can be a deterrent for some people, right? Am I gonna be comfortable in the area? Should I be staying there? Whatever. Dude, everybody was super friendly. Like, the businesses, all the people. Matter of fact, one of the donut places that was next to me, I remembered they were there, so I called. And I'm like, hey, how late are y'all staying open? And the lady was like, oh, well, we're probably closing soon, but we still have some donuts, so if you want to come by, we'll just stay open and you can come get some. And I was like, really? Cool. I'll be there in, like, five minutes. And I went down, and she was like, hey, we have all these left. And it, like, gave me a deal on stuff. And I'm like, man, they're just doing good business. Like, just great people all around. Matter of fact, we even found on Saturday... No, it was on Sunday afternoon. Went to have lunch at this place called uh, More Sugar, which is a great name right. for a restaurant. Right? But they had a, the most eclectic menu of all different stuff, but they made amazing coffees, teas, and desserts. So, like, the, those are, like, their highlights. But they had, like, these tacos they made from, like, this... I don't even know what they braised it in, but it had this amazing sauce on some really tender chicken. And, like, oh, just so many good things. Like, I can't can't say it positively enough if you're traveling to an event, especially a magic event in Philly, just get an Airbnb or something in Chinatown, and you're gonna love it. Hell, and if you have people with you that like to go shopping, the fashion district's like a three four minute walk up the road. Like, there's a AMC movie theater and a Round One nearby. If you just need some entertainment for the family or the kids, like everything was within easy walking distance. Like, I can't recommend enough. And it was like, I don't know, maybe a twenty five to thirty minute or a thirty dollar. Uh, uber ride to and from the airport so totally affordable easy to do but all that said let's talk about some other things brian do you really pay attention to any of the master sets or anything when those come out
0: uh i mean uh, enough to kind of sort of talk about it but now since i really i guess i don't collect them per se gotcha gotcha well, the reason I ask is because
1: I saw over the weekend, they decided they were going to announce Commander Masters. Which is not something I thought would have a Master set. <laughs> it's not something you really think about. But it does hit an interesting spot for me. Because one of the things I've told people for a while is the best things to buy are master, or, uh, Commander sets and Secret Layers. Right? Because those are the things that have not been reprinted to date, really, for the most part. This is going to be the first time a lot of those cards are probably going to get reprinted in an actual set uh, for a commander. Which I don't think it's going to kill the value too much of the old sealed commander products. But I think those are still going to be worth money. But it's kind of interesting because I think there were a lot of cards in those past commander sets that didn't really fit anything for them to put into a regular booster. So you kind of were only going to be able to reprint them in a commander thing. But the problem is, then you have to build a commander deck that makes sense to include that card, so you have the excuse to reprinting it. So, (laughs) a lot of times, those are just never going to see the light of day. So, it kind of makes sense that there's going to be a commander masters as a place to put a lot of that stuff. Now, the interesting thing is, my understanding, the way I read it, was these boosters included cards, all the cards in the main set, are supposed to be reprints either through Magic's History and or Commander products. But then the Commander, I believe there were four different Commander decks they're going to release alongside the set. Those are still going to have some unique Commander-only cards, which is a little weird, but kind of interesting. So you're starting the process over again to have some more Commander exclusives. That I guess you'll eventually in another couple of years seed the next Commander Master set. Like, I don't really know. But this is one I'm I'm a little conflicted on. I think it has potential to be a very valuable set. Because there are a lot of commander cards that, like I said, we just haven't had a place to reprint them or even knew if they would show up again.
0: Whether yeah, we're talking there, yeah. we're reprinting uh printing a couple from uh portal three kingdoms which one i don't know i don't even want to know what portal three kingdoms cost nowadays so that mm-hmm. maybe, maybe the only way i get one of those cards yeah exactly like this is going to be a pretty interesting set i
1: i would this is one that when it hits depending on what my budget is i might be willing to set on a box or two of it i feel that confidently about it and even if it starts out slow I think the long run, it's going to be one of those sets that has a lot of cards that especially the casual commander audience is going to be interested in. And I think that's going to help it sell pretty well. But it's one I think you should definitely keep our eyes open for, because I think there's going to be a lot of hype on that as it starts to roll through. And it's one I don't think people will want to miss, especially if there's been a lot of those past commander cards you've been interested in, but they're just a little too expensive. I would venture to guess a lot of those are going to show up in this set. Because this is going to be one of the few times for them to have an opportunity to put them somewhere. And if you think about it from an R&D standpoint for Wizards, it's kind of not even that much work and pretty easy money to be able to sell those boosters. So we'll see what's going on. Though, in a related side note, I want to say I saw Tuesday that during their live show, Blake had mentioned... They were going to do like a mini standard set that's only going to have like 50 some cards and they were going to be like five card boosters or something. I feel like we, we had seen like hints of what that was going to be a few months back, but that was like the first time we got like real details of kind of what a smaller booster pack was going to include. So we'll talk about that on another show when we have more information. But I just thought it was worth mentioning in case people hear something about it and go like, is that real? Like, yep, it's actually real. But, you know, let's talk about cosplayers for a second. Because, you know, we we mentioned back when they were first talking about doing Magic 30 in Vegas months and months and months ago. About the, what turns out, I don't know if it was truly mistaken or just poorly thought out and posted, prizes for that cosplay contest. I believe it was, like, 400 bucks, like, a gift card and, and free yeah. entry to the next show or something, right? Two francs and a bus token. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that, right? But then they got it right and said, hey, we're going to have these $1,500 prizes and, like, $2,000 prize for Best in Show and Judge's Choice and all that, right? So they were giving away, I think, at the end, it ended up being a real pile of money, like, eight or $9,000 worth of prizes or something. Some, some big number. And... That went over pretty well. The costumes, even the person who won the Dark Pack cosplay with like the the Ashiok with the smoking. Yeah, that like, was
0: incredible. Yeah,
1: insane, right? By the way, got to talk with that person for a bit. Just a gem of a human. Like super friendly, just really polite, very interesting to talk to. Cool ideas on costuming and whatever. Just total worth a follow. Dark Pack cosplay on Twitter if, if you want to follow them but what i felt like was now that people know that one wizards is giving away real money two that the community cares about the cosplay and wants to see the costumes and people are wanting to take pictures with them and all that like so so your work is appreciated you know by the community and wizards also making a point to have cosplayers available at all their events now right they're they're flying people out to just be centerpieces and be photograph moments and to assist in events and judging stuff. And, you know, that investment in that community is actually starting to come through because dude, when the cosplay contest was happening, at least from where I could see it was basically standing room only, right? Everybody was there watching in the effort that the, I guess we call them costumers. I don't know what the actual top... I guess we'll just call them a cosplayer. That their their actual effort was so high. Like, the, the person who won... By the way, if, you, if you've ever seen Vorinclex, the character... It's like this beast thing that has, like, the big white mask or whatever. A person won by doing an almost life-size Vorinclex. Like, inside, from what I could tell... The person was walking around on, like, this four-stilt system or whatever... And had, like, these big hands on the front. And, like, it it was just crazy. Like, so big, they couldn't even get them on the stage. Had to, like, come around the side and be judged from the floor. Like, it was crazy. And I don't think that person does that if there's not real prizes and real promotion. You know what I mean? Like, if it was just a couple hundred bucks and some people were like, oh, that's neat. There was cosplayers at the show. I don't think that person's motivated to do it. But when you see cosplayers being talked about, being invited on different YouTube channels, wizards promoting them on their main pages. You know, you've got named cosplayers that are that are judging the competition, right? You you're able to go home with a $2000 check in your hands. That changes, man. And we're seeing it. Like there were people that, you know, they were all telling you like, "Oh yeah, like there was this person that did did a Elish Norn with it was like a silicone skin suit for the main underneath thing and all this detail done up on it or whatever. And I'm like, this is nuts. Like people are doing like movie level costuming to show out at these things now. It's
0: incredible. It really is just mind boggling the stuff you see out there. Yeah. And it's
1: amazing. Like, and you'll talk to them and they're like, oh yeah, this took me like 140 hours. This took me 250 hours. Right. Right. Hell, z was walking around done up as the new uh, completed Vraska, like head to toe, covered in makeup, you know, things coming out of her head. These crazy big claws, like doing the, the creepy Vraska voice, taking pictures with people or whatever. Said that, I think she said that took like 150 hours or something.
0: I don't doubt it for a second.
1: Yeah, it's just crazy. Like people are putting in real effort. Like this is. And granted, this isn't a group I would say is like, you know, they're not they're not an LGBT group. They're not a racial group that, you know, they're not that level of a community. But still, it's when we take interest in a part of the community and it gets supported. This is the type of effort you can see from them. You know, because before it was like, oh, cosplayers kind of cool. And, you know, we'll see them pop up at conventions for some pictures here or there. And that's neat. But now it's like, oh, no, there's a full thing where you can get paid, right? People are being flown out to events, right? This this is becoming like paid work for people. Now, all of a sudden, you start seeing all this extra stuff blossoming. Now that people know who the top cosplayers are that they can go and ask and get help from or whatever on how to shape their warblah or, you know, what's the best way to do this lighting effect or whatever. Now you're starting to get all these people turning out. And I think it's only going to get bigger and better because... Like, dude, there was somebody that did the and Seven, you know, the big creepy tree person, whatever that had like yeah. this whole thing off of her back with like the branches up and had like candles in it. And like it was it was crazy looking. You know, Whoa. and I'm like like people went all out, dude. It was cool. I have some pictures to share. I'm gonna hopefully get some some shorts done or whatever so I can share them with people, but just so good. So good. And it and it made and I'm not even a cosplayer, really, but it made me feel good to see part of the community that this when you say like hey let's put some effort behind some things and show people that like this part of the community matters and you'll see it grow and it happens and I think it's going to happen again when we see I get Minneapolis is the next one I think you're going to see a whole different group of cosplayers at that trying to compete for the money right this this is cool this is cool I like seeing these developments in the communities I'm in (laughs) and it's funny because again I like Some of that's a little bit of empathy too, right? Because I'm not a cosplayer, but I like seeing this for other people in our community. And I think sometimes we have to remember that. Like it doesn't have to directly benefit me to be a good thing for our community, right? This is one where I saw tons of people happy. Lots of people are wanting to take pictures and share things and they were all over social media and people are being tagged and followed. And like, it was just cool to see people rewarded for their efforts and they got to be cool additions to the show for just average attendees who were impressed, excited, you know, wanted to get those photograph
0: moments and stuff. So that that was really neat. And as a writer, I can just imagine, you know, what the people that created these characters, how they feel when they see people love these characters so much that they want to put 200 hours into dressing up like that character. Because you're not doing that if you hate the character, obviously.
1: You know, you bring up a good point because I hadn't even thought about that. Like, if you were one of the writers or whoever in R&D that came up with the character concept or an artist that had to do the rendition of a thing and all you had was a description, you know, and then you see somebody bring your piece of art to life, like, that's got to be a cool moment. Like, if you're one of those artists, because honestly, by the way, the artist alley here, I think had like 20 artists or 22 artists. something. There was a lot. But imagine being one of those artists there and somebody comes up in a spitting image cosplay of the thing you drew you know two years ago or three years ago or whatever that's gotta feel good right like i couldn't even imagine like picking my head up from signing a bunch of stuff and going like whoa like there's my thing in real life
0: you go through the whole creative process of trying to figure out like wait is anybody gonna like this is you know is this gonna catch on do people are people gonna see the same vision i see and then you know to to see how much people are in love with some of these characters. It's just, like we were talking about, even the you, know, I remember, I, I can't remember which Blade Walker it was now. or you're talking about, like seriously, who cares? It's like, no, I found a whole article about how much they were waiting to see. You know who who betrayed this character and why? It's just even the ones you think think aren't popular. Somebody somewhere that is their favorite character and, for and sure. They don't know what happens to them.
1: So yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think as we find these pockets. And honestly, I, I have some other ideas for things to, you know, integrate more creators and stuff, too. And I think there's still more that we could do with these shows that are honestly very low effort, but very high impact. So I, I'm really excited to see that. And now it feels like they've kind of got the cosplay thing on rails a little bit. We've got it figured out. It's working for the community. And now we can start saying, OK, cool, let's keep that. Let's add to the show and let's bring on some more things. Because I think these can just keep getting bigger and better. But. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about some different options to Twitter. Well, there's a new one that's popped up on the scene. This particular one is called Spoutable. Uh, it's one I signed up for, I guess, if you want to call it pre-sign up. Uh, they took a bunch of names and they were originally supposed to launch, I believe, on February 1. But they pushed it back a couple of weeks because their numbers were huge to the point that they decided they needed to roll it out. I think they only did a couple of thousand at a time. They were sending out waves of emails. So they didn't overload their servers because apparently that was like a real concern. But my understanding is once I got everybody in and up, there haven't been any issues. Everything's been flowing fine. Very interesting that it does look a lot like Twitter's layout. I'm not going to say it's a direct ripoff, but it's real close. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's like. You, I can't uh, imagine whoever succeeds going to be the person that just directly rips it off. That Yeah,
1: Mike, you're different enough that you can say it's not, well, it's not identical, but like the layout, if you look at it and you're familiar with t- Twitter, you would be right at home. I mean, yeah. it's that comfortable. I will say they seem privately in... Well-financed, so they do have a real shot, I think, as far as operational expense from the sound of things. they, From what it sounds like, they're a team of people that come from different parts of social media as well. I would not be surprised if they got some of the recent cast-offs from Twitter. Uh, that's kind of one of the things that happens whenever you let a bunch of people go and you have competitors coming up. They know exactly who to hire. <laughs> so that wouldn't surprise me in the least. But one of the things that comes up when we talk about this stuff, if people say, oh, yeah, well, it's not like it's going to kill Twitter or whatever. Like, I don't think that's the goal. Like, don't be wrong. I think for these companies individually, they would love to have the market share that Twitter has and yeah. whatever. But realistically, I don't think Twitter's just going to go away. I don't think Facebook or Instagram or whatever, it's just right. going to magically go away tomorrow, right? That's space
0: still there, folks. <laughs> it is.
1: They they had to change their goals, but they're still there. Yeah. Hell, Tumblr's still there, you know? I I think a lot of these apps and services.
0: Tumblr is like the impact wrestling of social media. It it should be dead, yet somehow it will not die. You're not wrong. I mean,
1: they literally had a campaign recently of like, hey, we brought back the boobies. You can come back to
0: Tumblr. So, you know, they do what they got to do, I guess. I I mean, they, they knew they were wrong. It just took them a little too long to get back to the right point. Yep.
1: One thing I, I, I wanted to bring up, though, for people is these sites, I think, are just alternatives. And I think how they're each going to live is some communities will decide they want to leave one of the other platforms and they're going to live on this other one. And in the meantime, I think you're just going to have a lot of people that just use both. You know, they're going to have their foot in the new space just so as it does grow, they're already there. But they know that a large chunk of their following still happens to be on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. So they're still going to keep using it. I'll be one of those people, right? I have a bunch of people that follow me on Twitter. I'm still going to use Twitter. But me reposting similar stuff over on Spoutable isn't a bad thing. Yeah, you know, And if it grows, then cool. I already have people that follow me there. And there's a little growth network happening. But I'm not looking like I think that's the thing when people say like, well, why are you getting on those if you don't think they're going to be huge or whatever? Like, I don't know if they're going to be huge or not, but I'm not getting on them just to replace one of my other things. Now, don't get me wrong. Like. Things can keep going bad on some of these platforms. I might eventually say, like, yeah, I'm done dealing with this. I'm just going to go live over here and I'll just I'll just take my lumps or whatever, you know, but realistically, we're just going to be on multiple platforms for a bit. But I do think if you are looking for other alternatives, I think it's going for me, I think my newest one between Hive Social and Spoutable, Spoutable has a web option, but not an app, though they said the app, they're trying to push it out in the next couple of weeks from what it sounds like. Hive has an app, but not a web application. So I think whichever one gets up first and can utilize them well will probably be the one that has the best shot between them. And if I were a betting person right now, I'd probably say spoutable. And the reason I think that's important is while a lot of people do carry their phones and, you know, a lot of times we're watching social media or responding from our phones, if you're trying to get a lot of the content creators and whether we like it or not, content creators drive a lot of the interest, a lot of the discussions, you know, whatever, on these different platforms.
0: That's where the memes come from.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they just do, right? So you've got to have both because content creators move between both frequently, right? We'll get done streaming, hop over to our desktop app to do something on Twitter, share some stuff, some clips, whatever, boom, 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 right? But if not, we're out and about on our phones and we're like, oh, this is really funny. I got to share this with my community or this is a really cool picture I want people to see or whatever. Like you got to have both available so they don't have to jump through hoops to have those similar experiences they have on, on other platforms. But yeah, if you haven't checked out Spoutable, I would at least say, check it out. I think like a lot of platforms, same thing with Hive. I think it's neat, but Hive, I think unfortunately had the issue of, they just, they couldn't manage the number of people that came in so fast. And I think that ultimately kind of killed their, their early burst. And rightfully so, right. You you go to an app, it doesn't work right for like a week or two. You start going like, eh, I'm just going to delete it off my phone. I don't really care about this. Whatever, I'll just go back to what I was using. So as much as people are frustrated that Spoutable didn't have everybody on on February 1st, like they said, I think they made the right decision of saying, hey, we're going to do a controlled rollout to make sure that nobody has a bad experience. And so far, it seems to be working, but we'll see. But I I do think, you know, you hit on the right thing. There's some that are just going to live forever no matter what happens. I I think there's some platform. Hell, there's people forget stuff like Snapchat still exists. Right? Like, it was hot for a hot minute. Everybody was using it. And now it's like, a couple of social groups use it, or you'll get somebody who only wants to talk on Snapchat, and not on other stuff. So, like, sure. But yeah, I I think I have it on my phone. I don't even remember the last time I opened it, to be honest. I know I still have the app on there, but, hell, I don't even know if it updated with the last update, (laughs) to be honest. So, yeah, I keep a lot of them around just because if other people want to use them or whatever, I have access to them, but We'll see. I think we're in an interesting time. And a lot of it, whether people like it or not, is going to be driven by the creator community more than anything else. The influencer community, if you will. I don't even think it has to be creators necessarily. But let's talk about something interesting here in the dinner table to kind of wrap up the show. A thing that comes up a lot, you know, thinking of talking about influencers is... People like to lean on negativity and, you know, there's full channels based on it. That's all they do. They rant, rave, whatever, any small thing that comes out, they have to turn it into the biggest thing, you know, clickbaity stuff, whatever. But I guess the question I want to pose to you, Brian, I'll let you start, is just how do you feel about people using negativity to garner engagement?
0: I mean, I think it's really about the quality of the work. Like, if the professor says something is wrong in magic, if you say something is wrong, I'm going to be more likely to believe it. If I'm trying to think of somebody that I just, who just, uh, the quartering. If the quartering says something is wrong in magic, I'm going to believe the opposite of whatever the quartering says, just because I kind of know that that's, that's the kind of channel that guy has, where everything is wrong and everything is, is too woke, you know?
1: I guess that's a good point. It, it can come down to I guess the source of the information as well. Right? I but I also think there's some ways you can use negativity not I guess I don't even I don't know it like cuz this is going to sound clickbaity when I say it. But like use the illusion of negativity even, even. Right? You could say something like this is the worst way to win at magic. Right? but you're making a video showing like, hey, here's five things not to do while you're in in a tournament or whatever. Yeah. Right? But people look at that and you know people are going to click and they're like, oh, what's the the worst way to win it? What? You know, let me see this. When really you're just saying like, hey, here's some some etiquette things you should know about gameplay or whatever. So I think there's some ways you can use that. We'll call it like a creator hook, right? Like there's a way you can use that to draw people in that I don't think in and of itself is negative, or the content even has to be negative. But the concept of it is a draw. Right? The same way people do like, here's how not to go broke in 2023. Yeah. And then give you some strategy tips on investing or whatever, right? You, you're using the, the fear of somebody going broke to generate your your view. But it's actually a pretty positive video.
0: <laughs> and, I mean, so much of this is, you know, it's it's you, the themes that we use in news. If you turn on your local TV news, how many good stories are there? Maybe two. Most of it is somebody got shot. Uh, There's an earthquake somewhere. Then right at the end, they'll do that human interest. Hey, look, somebody hugged a puppy today. But the majority of what you see on your TV news and also in your newspaper is bad news. The exception to that would be like it's probably like the sports section. And even, you know, through even, even when they want to cover every now and again, every now and again, athlete, you know, shoots or runs over somebody. But most of what's in the, especially the front page, most of what's in the front page is something is an emergency. The water is polluted. You know, uh, there's uh, some some uh, some uh, councilman is a crook. That's just kind of the way and I have worked for a couple of publications that try to do it like, oh, we're just going to do positive news, and almost inevitably they go bankrupt because there just doesn't end up being a market for an all positive news newspaper or an all positive news channel. I could see that. You know, that just reminds me when you said
1: that. Have you seen the new progressive commercial? where? Uh, I mean, I'm sure I have. There's the dudes at the news desk, and then they cut like, to today's positive news story, and it's like Flo talking about how somebody got to save money on their insurance, and they're just like, "Yep, that's that's our positive story of the day? It's like, that's what we could find. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That's what the news feels like sometimes.
0: Because some of them are, like, it's, it's where you're like, wow, they really didn't have anything, so they had to just kind of, <laughs> they, they really had to stretch for that." One. Oh, sidetrack to the topic,
1: but you know, we occasionally will mention funny conspiracy theories. Did you know that there's people that believe DeMar Hamlin, the guy that got hurt on the Bills, is dead? And they just I saw, yeah. like that the NFL is just using like a clone or something walking around,
0: like a lookalike or something. That that cracks me up because it shows you the NFL th- 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 they have no confidence to go on the real world. People, we already know it, the NFL kills players. We know football long-term is not good for you. It is still the highest-rated TV show in America. Somebody pulled the numbers of them on one of the sports talk shows I listened to. And, again, this is the year where we almost saw a guy die on the field. Something like the top 30 broadcasts of the year were all NFL football games.
1: Yep. And a lot of those were because they had – Dallas, Kansas right. City, Tampa Bay, and yeah. prime time every Exactly.
0: Week. <laughs> Everybody knows the score at this point. It's just the majority of us have decided, you know, for whatever reason, it's just it, it's what we like to watch. And yes, we know full well that that's the closest we've ever come to seeing anybody just die yeah. on the field right then. But we've the thing, known for the thing for me though, right? When
1: we're talking about conspiracy on this thing, is that the number of people that would have to be involved to pull this off, ridiculous, for the story to not come out, right? Because you're talking about, like, every doctor or nurse that dealt with them, every teammate right. that went to visit them, family members, you know, news people that were covering the story outside the hospital, blah, blah, And the NFL would already have to, I guess, have some number of lookalikes available. So, like, the person... Like, you'd have
0: to have somebody who already knew how to do the hair like them. Talk and the like lookalike them. would have to be somebody, I guess, that didn't have any friends or family. That's They'd what i like, right? Like, bar, that's... That's Leroy. That's my baby daddy. Yeah,
1: like, the levels is just, like, too ridiculous. Plus, like, people that grew up with him, hung out with him every day, whatever, like, they're not going to know it's not him, like, when he shows up to the facility. You know what I mean? Like, he hung around with the team. Like, like how would they not know? You know what I mean? Like, hey, dude. You remember that time we went and did such and such? And like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like what? Wait a minute. Or he goes to eat something. And they're like, dude, aren't you allergic to strawberries? Like, right. you know,
0: whatever. Some There's ridiculous. There's so many ways that that, you know.
1: Yeah. But I just thought that was crazy that 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 yeah. was a real. And people were, dude, like, because he came out mm-hmm. during the Super Bowl. Right. At the pregame. And people are analyzing like every tattoo and like they will see in this picture. You can't really see. It. I'm like, dude, it's just a potato level image in bad lighting. Of course, you're not going to see the tattoos perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> like that's just how like digitizing stuff and lighting works, whatever. But
0: yeah, just crazy, crazy stuff.
1: So, so yeah, that's a fun this- one.
0: If you want a rabbit yeah. hole, want to explore a conspiracy, go look that up. And that, you know, to bring you back to the topic, that is absolutely part of the danger of all the... day Like, you were talking about Fox News earlier. I forget, was that pre-show or... Yeah, or yeah. Yeah. Show? yeah, it was a Patreon show. You were talking about the person who was just drinking in Fox News almost like it was their super soldier programming.
1: You know? Dude, I'm telling you, he looked just like a... I'm, I'm not even joking, dude. Like, like, rigid, just stiff, dead stare, straight ahead, like, hands crossed, like... And then you could literally see like when he let up for a second to try to see what was on my phone or whatever. And then I saw him, like immediately, like posture got right, shoulders went back. Like it was creepy, dude. For real. That's the one it was, it was generally like and I'm a pretty even killed person, but like I'm not going to lie. There was a moment where I, I started to get a little uncomfortable because, no. like, this dude might snap or something if right. I say or do the wrong thing. Like, that's sort of what it felt like.
0: <laughs> like- what, what, what's frightening to watch, Daz? You know, obviously you have Fox on on the, the far right, MSNBC on the far left, and CNN's new boss apparently is trying to figure out how to 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 get ratings in the middle. And we've gotten so fragmented, I don't know if there's a way. Yeah, that's that's true. That's very true. It just, the, the days of Dan Rather. Even Dan Rather was kind of polarizing because of the reporting he did on George Bush. You have to go back to Walter Cronkite to find somebody that you could feel like everybody trusts in God. That's been, what, 60 years? Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> maybe
1: some of the early 60 Minutes reporters or something.
0: You have to go to that level. <laughs> I, mean, I think pretty much everybody knew if you saw Mike Wallace coming towards you, you were a big troll. Immediately, but the story coming, was, at least was fair. It wasn't yeah. like they
1: were super biased or nothing. Like you just knew, like,
0: and you knew it. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whoever. If Mike Wallace smelled blood in the water, yep. he was moving in. It was right? going to be and a story was, next week. <laughs> that was all there was to. But yeah, but yeah. yeah know, that's the. I mean, i have no, there be times where I would get frustrated, like God, I'm tired of car wrecks, and but yeah, you know, just most popular section of the paper is still the obituary. There's just something about human nature where we like to look at the the, the train wrecks, and I guess unless you figure out some way to to, to change those instincts in us, I guess to some extent, negativity will always. Sell. You know, I think mortality freaks people out. Yeah, you know,
1: just seeing it and people think about it and whatever. And that's probably what leads to that. But, you know, like I said, I, I think there's ways because as humans, I think we're predisposed to respond to negativity as well because it's survival instincts, right? Like we want to avoid as much as negativity, but we have to know it's there and that it exists or whatever. So we don't have that in our life. So when you see it, we're kind of drawn to it because we want to know what it is. The curiosity sets in. So I get how people use that but I think it becomes a problem if you're overusing it and then you just become about only negativity. And I think that's where the concern starts to come for a lot of people. It's like, now is this really what I'm wanting it to be? Is this like, now it's starting to be a bit uncomfortable and getting a little weird, you know, like every article I'm writing is something negative. Or honestly, I will say this as a creator, I've had to talk to people about being careful about it because if you start to cultivate that audience, well, that's all you're going to have in your sphere is a bunch of people that are negative. And the reality is, from everybody I've talked to, the people that tend to be more positive, they make way more money. Because those are people that are like, you put out something cool, they're going to go buy that cool thing to represent you or whatever. Or you're talking about a thing, they're going to go buy it because you you recommended it or whatever. But when you're negative, the only time the negative people seem to really support them is when they're rallying around them, right? Because somebody's attacking them or their sphere. So they'll go by or do whatever to make sure that person's okay. But in between that, they don't have that much support. So it's not even in your benefit to be negative all the time.
0: Well I guess you also got to look at like, I guess, what kind of skills you have as a content creator. If you're good at, you know, angry Joe style rants, then yeah, you want to find what the worst game was and that's what you want to talk about. Now if you're Mr. Beast, obviously he, you you have he, Yeah, I think you got whatever it is, whatever lane you go into, you have to be able to to fulfill it. If you're somebody who just automatically sees the worst parts of humanity, you can't do Mr. Beast, you know, or anybody in that sphere. That's also true. And by the same token, if you just, if you instinctively trust everybody, it's going to be hard for you to do, you know, investigative journalism because you're going to always take people at face value. And spoiler alert, most, you know, Most politicians, especially, or most PR people, because it's their job, they're going to lie to you or they're going to always put the most positive thing forward. And if you don't know how to see through the smoke screen, then then again, doing, you know, the hardcore investigative journalism isn't going to be for you. Yeah, that's real, too. You got to know what you're working with. Like you you
1: have to know yourself, your skill set, whatever, because that's going to definitely affect things, too. And I think that's a hard thing that people don't necessarily want to talk about from a content side is that you have to know your skills. Don't try to do too much. Don't get too far outside your lane. Like you have expertise, you have things you've learned, use it and just make it as good as positive for you. But once you're right where they can find you on the social media machines, Brian.
0: Right. I am Brian Sionic on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. Our family channel on YouTube is Alan's Ever After. You can read my writings over at tilt magazine and uh the video game side of tilt magazine is goombastomp.com so i think that's everything
1: <laughs> and you can find me just about everywhere Powerdragon, p-o-w-r-d-r-a-g-n on most social things and there's gonna be a lot of stuff coming up i think a fun announcement in a couple of weeks i'll be at some more events uh, hunter burton memorial opens coming soon in march so i'll be doing that so yeah just lots of opportunity but as always wherever you're listening whenever you're listening good morning good afternoon good evening and good night please take care of yourselves and your family and remember to be awesome and be awesome to each other if you'd like to further support color of magic you can find us on our website at colorofmtg.com. we also have a patreon if you'd like to donate other patreon.com color of magic you can also find us on facebook under color of magic And if you want to follow us along at Twitter, you can find us there at color of MTG. And as always, please share the podcast around to your friends, your network, people you think might enjoy it, because every little bit helps as we're trying to increase our user base.